Thank you so much to Myra and our worship leaders for those songs this morning as we prepare our hearts to consider why we share the gospel with others. And it's all based in our relationship with Jesus, our personal love relationship with Jesus that motivates us in our sharing of the gospel with others. If you haven't already opened your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verse 17, would you join me there? Luke chapter 5, verse 17 will be our key text today as we continue our sermon series, Others. We've talked about others being why we pray, others being why we serve, others next week, why we give, but this week, others, why we share the gospel, others. But what we found out when we talked about others as being why we pray is that our personal prayer life, in order to be effective, begins with a personal experience with God that humbles us, causes us to repent from our sin and brokenness because we realize God's perfection and righteousness and our sinfulness. Even as we talked about serving last week, we were reminded that it is because of who, what God did for us that humbles us, that causes us to want to serve others. So when we think about others, it all starts with our personal relationship with Jesus and what He has done for us. Let me read a statement to you. Rejoicing in our personal relationship with God, we will share the good news of Jesus with others and serve them in His name. God's desire is that all people would come to a saving relationship with Him. That's gospel sharing, one of our values. Gospel sharing that we know what God has done for us, and because of what He's done for us, we seek to share that with others. We know what Colossians 4 says in verse 5 and 6. This is act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may be able to answer any person. First Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts regard Christ Jesus as Lord, as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. We know that we should share the gospel, but we've got barriers, we've got drawbacks, we've got excuses, we've got fears, we've got our reasons. And I'm not going to preach a sermon today that tells you how to share the gospel. More so, what we're going to look at is the why of sharing the gospel. That others need Jesus. And because Jesus loved us and we have a relationship with Him, we desire to share that relationship with others. We're saved. We've been found. We've been forgiven. And we desire to share that with others. Our scripture memory verse for the month is 1 Thessalonians 3.12, and that reminds us of others. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, we'll put that on the screen, and you can read that with me. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. May the Lord make your love increase, the love that He's given you because of your relationship with Him. That love within you overflows for what? Each other. 
for everyone else. So each other is those in the church. Everyone else is those outside the church. And Paul, who wrote 1 Thessalonians, is saying, just as our love does for you, you follow our examples. If you're able to stand with me, would you stand now as we read our focal passage today, Luke chapter 5, verse 17 and following. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 and following. One day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus when they could not find a way to do this because the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When the Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, take a, get up, take up your mat, and walk and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. Pray with me. God, our Father, we read a passage of Scripture that's familiar to us. We even enact it in this day of resurrection, our Easter pageant, right in this very room. We pray that you help us to see the depth of meaning here. Not just the confrontation with the Pharisees over their legalism, but the desire to share you with others that you might change their lives and that we would be motivated anew to share the gospel with others in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. What Jesus is confronting here is legalistic around the laws that God had given. Pharisees, men, had built a hedge of protection around it. And they'd added these legalisms. They'd created an externalized religion. And... People put a good deal of effort into keeping up outside appearances. We have churches like that today. We have denominations like that today. We have people within any church like that today that we get caught up in keeping up the appearances of a righteous person or a religious person, but our hearts are not changed. We may not even necessarily love God. Love for the rules versus love for God reveals our pride. Love of God without love of man further reveals our pride. It's the love of God that changes our hearts. It's the love of God that causes us to love others. And in the midst of this meta-confrontation about legalism, there's a lesson here for us about loving others and how we love others. So your first point on your outline says 
that we should get friends to Jesus. The first point on your outline is get friends to Jesus. I'm writing this in a colloquial way, and uh, that's basically what I'm trying to say here. Verse 17 and 18, we're summarizing there. One day, as he was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village in Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. Let's take a time out and talk about that. Luke doesn't say, but the parallel passage in Mark tells us that Jesus was in Capernaum. It was kind of his home base, the larger town near his hometown, that had become his home base for his ministry, particularly when he was in the Galilee region. But it says people from all over Galilee were there to hear him, and even Pharisees and teachers of the law as far away as Judea, which could be many days' walk, Jerusalem, that's a minimum of four days' walk at that day and time, even riding a donkey. And so Jesus had enough popularity, enough buzz at this time that folks from all over were coming to pay attention to what he said and they were crowded in this house because people couldn't get enough of him. Some because they liked him, others because they despised him. When we think about things that we find interesting, when we find amazing, things that we love, things that we enjoy, we tell others about it, don't we? I mean, you don't have to ask me. I talked about ice cream a few weeks ago in my sermon, and I think a whole lot of you went and got ice cream. Good for you. Yeah. I mentioned bluebell ice cream, and specifically, and some friends from our church who had gone down south brought me some bluebell ice cream. Good for me. My family also got to enjoy some, too. But things that we love are easy for us to talk about. According to research, if I'm not sharing the gospel with others, It's because I've lost my sense of awe and appreciation. I've lost, in a sense, part of my love for God that motivates me to share that with others. So the question we ask on this first point is, what does it look like to bring friends to Jesus? In our lives today, we aren't going to a crowded house and finding it so crowded that we have to carry our paralyzed friend up on a roof and break open the roof to drop him down through. We're, we're not finding those kind of barriers, but we still have barriers, right? People are educated enough and have worldviews so contrary to the Christian worldview in this day and time. Those are huge barriers that we have to overcome. We might have to tear open the roof of their mind to get them to consider Christianity as reasonable, not just some myths and fables or things like that. Maybe their culture, maybe their religion, because it may be that in our world today that even though America used to be mostly a Christian nation, we have immigrants from all over the world and people following all different religions, and we've got to confront those lovingly and kindly and share the gospel with them. So we have barriers as well, but we've got to bring our friends to Jesus. Just like these four men brought their friend to Jesus in order to be healed, we need to bring our friends to Jesus in order to be saved and ultimately healed from everything that may be troubling them in their life. Evangelism is about who you are in Christ and relationship with others that they might have a personal relationship with Jesus as well. Do you hear that? That's a a, a bit of an attempt at a definition there. Evangelism is about who you are in Christ in relationship with others that they might be in relationship with Him as well. So we're going to bring others to Jesus. The second point on your outline today is don't give up. Don't give up. Because the first time you talk to somebody about Jesus, they're probably going to go, oh, that's nice. 
How about them Huskers? I mean, they're going to change the subject or, you know, unless there's something about the way you present Christ to them or something going on in their life or they're just a curious type or maybe God's already uh, prepared their heart for you to share the gospel with them. They may not have questions. They may not want to go down that line of conversation with you, but don't give up. Verse 19 here says what happened. When they could not find a way into the house because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. And lowered him on a mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd. Now, there's some debate as whether they're actually ceiling tiles in a Palestinian roof in that day and time. Probably not. But Luke, writing for his mainly Greek audience, uses a roof style that they know of tiles. It was probably just kind of like what we would call an adobe roof. You know, sticks going across or poles going across with mud and thatch on top. And the way these houses would be built was that they would have a flat roof and an outside staircase to get to that flat roof so in the heat of the day you could be on the roof under some sort of uh, shade or something like that if you needed to or you'd sleep there at night and you might even keep your animals inside your house at night different situation than we're used to but I love the way that Mark says this in the gospel of Mark as it's written originally in Greek it says they literally unroofed the roof they unroofed the roof you think about the barriers that we have in sharing the gospel with our friends Can you unroof the roof? Can you unreason their reason? Can you outrelationship their religion? Can you overcome what's holding them back from considering a personal relationship with Jesus? Your second question there asks you, why should I keep sharing Jesus? Well, that might depend and be different based on who you are. Because... I love God because I love my friend or family member, that I live as Jesus, I love because of Jesus, I speak the gospel because of Jesus, and I'm in relationship with others because they're part of my family, because they work with me, because they're neighbors, because we have a common interest and share a friendship, and God's put me in those relationships in order that I might be a missionary for Him and a witness for Him and share the gospel for Him. Gary Poole says, So much of the time evangelism is about me. I feel I have to tell the non-Christian God story in three points or less. And we skip the important part of the process, and that's listening to their story. The most effective thing we may do in sharing the gospel with our friends and not giving up is just knowing them. And asking them questions about their life and what's important to them and what worries them and what troubles them. And sharing biblical counsel with them, wise counsel from Scripture. It's not just the gospel they need, but all the rest of the gospel is ultimately the foundation. But the Bible's loaded with wisdom for any given situation as you visit with your friends about life. So we invite them to Jesus. We don't give up on them with Jesus. And then what's our third point this morning? Jesus can forgive anyone. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter what's been done to them, Jesus can forgive anyone. All means all, and all sins can be forgiven, and all people can be forgiven. And so what we find here in verse 20 is when Jesus saw their faith, He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now this is interesting. They 
lower the paralyzed man down. I'm sure the folks in the room are going, what in the world is going on here? And, you know, people are yelling, why are you doing this? And he says, well, I'm paralyzed. And rather than saying, be healed, Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Why would Jesus forgive sins rather than heal the man for his problem of paralysis, which is more important in the long run in eternity, right? Which is the greater lesson? Which would give greater benefit for the man's life? And Jesus' authority ultimately is spiritual. And His foremost authority is spiritual. He comes to deliver people from the paralysis of their sins, even though He can also change the physical. Your third question there asks, how much do I want my friends to be free? Do I want my friends to be free enough that I'm willing to bring them to Jesus, that I keep bringing Jesus back in our conversations, keep sharing the Bible with them in our conversations, that I love them in a sacrificial way to demonstrate Christ to them. Throughout my life and in relationship with them, they see Christ in me so that Christ becomes real enough that they say, I could be like that. I could believe like my friend. And you know what? My friend has a different handle on life, a different understanding on life, a different focus in life. And I believe it comes from Jesus. Matter of fact, they told me so. Could we share Christ with our friends in such a way that they'd be free as well? Are we willing to keep on going, to be persistent, kindly persistent, genuinely persistent, gentle in our means and methods to share the gospel with others? We invite people to Jesus. We don't stop in sharing the gospel with them in whatever way is appropriate, not too pushy, doesn't turn them off, not beating them over the head with a Bible. And because Jesus has forgiven us, we seek to continue to bring them. Your fourth point on your outline today is that there will always be naysayers. Look at verse 21 and 22 and 23. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves. Now, I know we portray it where they say it, but they began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, they're correctly identifying a problem here. According to Judaism, as contained in, uh, in the Old Testament of the Bible that we carry, yeah, no one but God alone can forgive sins. And so, They say, who is this fellow? And that question, who is this fellow, is the key to this entire passage because we, as the readers now, they, as those experiencing it then, were trying to understand who is Jesus and what's going on here that he would teach with such authority that people from days walks around would come. And so in his authority, he says this. Go on in verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Jesus knew their questions, and He answered their question with a question. He was trying to get them to think about their motivation, which leads us to our fourth question. Our fourth question today is, how should I respond to haters? Now, that's a colloquial term, right? Haters going to hate. 
you all know some negative people that no matter what you do, it just seems like they can't be happy for you, they can't be happy for anybody. Or they're going to hate on something or hate on somebody. And that's basically what's going on here. Jesus was so contrary to the religious understanding that the Pharisees and teachers of the law had built up around Judaism that he was freaking them out. He was opposition. He was enemy in their righteousness. They were going to put Jesus down because he was wicked. They didn't understand him or see him as the Messiah. Even today, when you share the gospel with folks... Some are just going to outright reject you. Some are even going to hate you. Some are going to say all manner of unkind things about you. But you keep on lovingly, kindly. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul says there that because Jesus died for us, we want to share him with others. And even if others are unkind to us, even if others reject us, even if others don't understand us, we keep sharing the gospel with others because Jesus died for us. And that's how we should respond to haters, with love, with kindness, with continuing to share the gospel message. We keep trying to get them to Jesus. He'll forgive them, even though they're haters. More so, there's a fifth point here. Not only will he forgive sins, but in the forgiving of sins, and if someone would give their life to Christ and trust him to be their personal Savior and Lord, he can make miracles happen. No, I'm not saying in this passage of Scripture that the man who was formerly paralytic and is now about to be healed got saved. It doesn't say that in this passage of Scripture. It demonstrates that he had faith, because he believed in Jesus, but it doesn't say that he got saved. Presumptively, we would assume Jesus says you're forgiven and Jesus heals you. You would have faith in him that becomes saving faith. But the scripture doesn't say that, so I can't say that. But what I can say is they brought him to Jesus. They, Jesus made a change in his life. Jesus made a witness for everyone there. And then Jesus makes miracles happen. Look at verse 24. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. Immediately stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home. Praising God, well, you would too. If you had something that nothing could heal and nothing could change. And in an instant, it did. And it was one person who said it to do it you'd probably praise their name too. You'd use those feet that you couldn't use before. You'd use those legs that didn't work just moments before. You'd use that voice to explain. And you'd tell everybody, yes, it's me. I'm the guy that used to lay begging because I was paralyzed and couldn't work. But Jesus healed me. Praise God for what Jesus did. By the way, he also said, my sins are forgiven. Isn't that amazing? By the way, he's in that house right over there. You ought to go visit with him. Listen to him yourself. He'll change your life just like he changed mine. Verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. Things beyond our understanding, things beyond our expectations. When somebody gets saved and the Holy Spirit enters their life, a whole new 
realm of possibility opens before them. Because before, they just had their self-will and their determination and maybe accountability or structure from the outside, from other people to say, hey, don't do this, do that, to keep them going the right way. But now they have the Holy Spirit within them. And as they grow in Christ and Christ becomes more real to them, their life ought to change. Their life can change. And how they relate to others and how they live life and the choices they make will change. It can be a miracle after miracle after miracle in their life. The final question on your outline asked today, whose life would I love to see changed by Jesus? Who do you know whose life you'd love to see changed by Jesus? If you're not already, I would say pray for them. Pray for them daily. Pray for them hourly. Continue to share the gospel with them and seek that your life might be a witness of Jesus by your own brokenness, humility, and repentance of sin and your personal relationship with Jesus so that that would overflow from your life to others, that He might change them. A couple months ago in our multiplication pipeline, we watched an interview between two famous pastors. They're famous because they're men of God and they teach the Word in an amazing way and they've written uh, convicting books as well, Francis Chan and David Platt. And they were talking about their own personal fear of sharing the gospel with others. They're like, you know, we're pastors that write books. We pastor large churches. Uh, We go speak at conferences. Yet when you sit me on an airplane beside somebody who I don't know, and I know I need to talk to them about eternity because I may never sit by this person or meet them again. And, you know, I get worried too. What are they going to think of me? And I have all these fears. And they came down to this discussion. Was it the fear of man or was it a lack of love? And Pastor David Platt said, It's a lack of love. The reason he will not or does not share the gospel with lost folks that he meets is he doesn't love God enough and by extension doesn't love them enough. I don't know about you, but that's terribly convicting to me. Ephesians 3.19, Paul offers a prayer that we would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge and that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And that as we are filled We would overflow. And as we overflow, others would be drawn to Christ and trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord as well. Let's pray. God, our Father, we're thankful for the story of Jesus that demonstrates His amazing power over the physical realm of this world, but more so over the spiritual realm of all Your creation. And in this story, Father, as we've sought to see lessons of evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with those you put in our lives, I pray that we would be convicted as we need to be convicted, encouraged as we need to be encouraged, challenged as we need to be challenged, but above all, that we'd be obedient that we would grow in our love for you, God, in order that it overflows to love for others and they would come to faith in Jesus Christ as well. So, Father, we pray for those of us that are believers, that we would be broken and humble before you, that you might fill us with your Spirit. And we pray for those who are not yet believers in Jesus, that they might trust him as their personal Savior and Lord today. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.